You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host. As always, this week, we have another massive heavy hitter in the room. It is the Regional Managing Director of the biggest building company in Australia. It'll be around there. If not, they've done certainly some of the most impactful, noticeable developments in Western Australia for many years now. It is Chris Palandry. Chris, thank you so much. Multiplex is a big company. You've been there for a long time. Long time. Before we get into talking about the business itself, yep. the behemoth that Multiplex is, being a global yep. company, obviously, I wanted to talk, as we do with some of our big hitters uh, that have come on the show over the last few months, talk about Chris Palandry and talk about the pathway that you've taken and that people who will follow you have, could take to get to being at the top of the pile of a massive commercial development builder in Western Australia. Sure. So my pathway to the role I'm in now is kind of unusual, I think, but I'll get there. But so I'm a Perth boy. I was born and bred in Perth. I went to John 23rd College, raised in Claremont. I went to Curtin University. I studied Bachelor of Business at Curtin University and majored in finance and economics and thought I'd go into the finance industry when I finished university. But I finished in 1989. The stock market crash happened in 87. I pretty quickly worked out that there was no jobs in finance, broking, that sort of area, and just sort of ended up by chance in the construction industry. Construction and then moved into development and so on. What was the job? Was it a grad role? It wasn't. So the job I started with, I happened to be on, this is probably the most interesting thing you're going to hear from me today because it's a bit of West Australia folklore or the, or the gentleman is anyway. I was on the back of a boat at Rottnest Island and I was talking to some big fat guy called John Roberts and I knew who John Roberts was and I knew who Multiplex was and I'd finished university, couldn't get a job, it was about April and he said to me, you should come work for me. I went, okay, that sounds great. That sounds like a great interview. I didn't have a job. He he was pretty buoyant because he just had a horse that had won a race out at Ascot and then he asked me to come and see him the following Monday, so I did and he gave me a job on the spot. And I spent about 20 seconds with him and he steered me into another gentleman's office and they gave me a job and I started at West Australia Square was the first project I worked on in April 1990. That you, was, can, you can't plan for that as a kid coming out of university. No, you can't plan for it. But, you know, you're standing next to John Roberts. You mm. talk to him. You don't sit there and not say anything. You talk to him and he asks you what you're doing. You're saying you're looking for a job. Yeah. And if he says, I'll give you a job, because I mean, he kind of figures that I was, you know... Bright enough. Yeah, bright enough, yeah. looked about right, had a degree, so could focus. He didn't even ask me about my degree, I guess, but just got lucky. And that's how I started in the construction industry coming up next April, will be 33 years ago. What did the job entail? The first job I had, I was a I was a crane coordinator at West Australia Square, which was a terrible job. What does a crane coordinator do? Just make cr- sure it doesn't hit anything? On that project, there were three tower cranes, a big crawler crane and a mobile crane. So you coordinated the activities of those five cranes and the 10 dogmen plus two spares, 12 dogmen and six crane drivers, all of heavily unionised what is now the CFMEU, BLF then, 22-year-old kid who had no idea what he was doing. And I I literally... Early 50-year-old guy telling you how it is. Oh, God, I got gobbled up. I got gobbled up and spat out. It didn't take long for me to work out that I had no idea what I was doing. Of course, I was getting a bit of assistance, but not as much as I needed, and didn't last long in that job, to tell you the truth. But thankfully, when they asked me to 
do something else, it was it was a great relief. Well, it was still with Multiplex, and that's probably a bit of an insight into your character, but also to the business. To, for you not to just quit and go to some other company and start in a brand new industry, but also for them to go, well, you might not suit this role, but we reckon this one will do you better. You're right onto it. That was the gold. A gentleman pulled me up and said, we've got something else we want you to do. And it was literally the site clerk on the project. So the site clerk did everything from answering the phone, distributing the drawings, ordering scaffold, doing the pay uh, for the... It was an admin job, basically. And I was lucky because I got somebody who wanted to teach me what to do. And I was... I could do it on my ear. I was really good at it. So then the natural progression was someone to say to me, you should look at some contract management because then they worked out that I had a degree in finance that would probably suit with contract management. And when West Australia Square finished, I moved to the Cannington Tax Office and I worked in contract management for the fit out there. And again, I got lucky because I worked for a gentleman who wanted to teach me and I was good at it. Mm. I worked it out. It wasn't overly complicated. It suited my skill set. It was money. I was really interested in the money. So it was tendering and money and how you get the best value out of the different trades, how you broke up the trades, that sort of thing. Packaging. Packaging. Yep. Yep. Putting packages together and trying to work out the most efficient way of putting the packages together. And I didn't have a building background, but I didn't find it that complicated. It just sort of worked for me pretty well and I was quite good at it. So You You know what's interesting about that is that given the fact you started your career on site, however much of a baptism of fire that was, Mm. it would have made your influence as a contract administrator given you had context so much more impactful Uh, because so many contract people just never get to site they don't know what they're packaging all the contract managers are on site and most of them have come from some sort of building background and have building skills but it was an advantage certainly an advantage to to get a, a look in before going into the contract management side of things it's interesting to think and i want to fill the gaps here but a kid who started literally at the bottom of the pile as an admin clerk 19 years later ends up being the managing director of the business and this is not some family-run business out of the back of Malaga this is the biggest big business uh, arguably in Western Australia in construction in this space well to to make it a bit more interesting I probably should go back one further step because while I was at university I did work for multiplex on a building site in Sydney as a lollipop man (laughs) so it gets even (laughs) even more uh, rudimentary I was on the corner of Pitt and Market Street in Sydney with a lollipop stopping traffic, waiting for the forklifts to go, unload trucks, all that sort of stuff, um, watching the traffic go by, watching girls go by, all that sort of stuff, sunning myself age 22 and earning about a 1000 bucks a week cash over my school holidays. But you're, you're right. So going from there all the way to the top, I mean, there's a CEO above me, of course, but I just got a really good journey through the property cycle that set me up for the role that I'm in now that I took in 2010. I think what you've alluded to there is that I'm not a fatist. I don't believe in that. That's how the world works. But certainly I do believe that life throws you opportunities all the time. And you can't pick when it's going to be, but they're always coming up if you're actively projecting what you want out into the world. And it's those opportunities and coincidences that you decide to act upon that defines your future. That is 100% what's happened to me. Mm. So when we finished Cannington Tax Office, the then managing director of Multiplex, the role I currently have, he rang me and said, we're going to run out of work for you in a couple of months. And I knew that. And he said, but I've got something for you in Darwin. And I went, Darwin? Okay, let me think about it. Didn't really have many options. Mm. I, I went back into the finance industry to see if I could find a job, couldn't get one, and went to Darwin. That was in the middle of 92. So it was still pretty dark days back then. We're still recovering 
had oh, a yeah. there. It was tough, which, yeah. which is really interesting. As I look back, that set me up really well for when I picked up, when I came back to Perth in 2010. I'll probably, I'll get to that part, but that stood me in really good stead for understanding the multiplex business in Perth when I came back in 2010. So what are you doing in Darwin? We were building Parliament House. So I went and worked up there in the nineties. In the nineties. So we just built the courts buildings and that was just finished. And I got there just as we were starting Parliament House. And John Roberts had picked that deal up through a relationship with Warren Anderson and his relationship was with the NT government. So there we were building the building. So I reported to the contract manager. I was in a contract administrator and I was doing all the fit out packages for Parliament House. But yeah, Darwin back in those days, that was it was pretty pretty rough and ready then, but it was an exciting project. It was a real it was a landmark. It still is. It's a beautiful building. I didn't really appreciate it that much then, but I was well, I went back there a couple of years ago for the twenty fifth anniversary of the completion. I still felt like the youngest person on the project because everyone else was twenty five years older and I was only twenty five at the time, I guess. But yeah, so I, I went to Darwin, but it was one of those things it just taking the opportunity, going, okay, I'll go to Darwin. A lot of people would turn their nose up at that. Absolutely. And I knew one person in Darwin. I was lucky. One of the guys I played hockey with in Perth, I knew had moved to Darwin to work with an accounting firm, and I knew him. So I went, okay, that's enough. I'll do it. Single, obviously. Yeah, I rocked up to Darwin with my bike, a suitcase, and my hockey bag. And the guy that picked me up, the guy that I was reporting to, said, is the rest of your stuff coming in a truck? I went, no, that's it. That's all I own. Because I'd moved out of mum and dad's house at 25. They were probably pretty happy to see the back of me. And then moved to Darwin. But, you know, spent three years there, and that's the opportunity that came because I just got thrown in the deep end, could learn a lot, really big, prestigious, complicated project, got lots of information, used that information. I worked really hard while I was up there. I played lots of well, sport. you wouldn't have had a lot of distractions either, would you? Um, worked hard, probably drank too much, played a lot of sport, had a good time. It was great fun. And still have some long-term mates from living in Darwin. I noticed a lot of people who do take that leap, especially within a business where they... they essentially do a solid for their boss. They go over there, take the opportunity. They come back with a big step forward in their career. Did that well, happen to you? I think you're right. I think this was probably, it was a bit embryonic at that stage for people to move within Multiplex. It, I, wasn't, I wasn't the first person to do it, but it wasn't exactly common. So I got lucky in Sydney because I worked on some big projects, particularly um, Chatswood Chase Shopping Centre, and I was the lead contract manager there. So I'd got promoted, moved state, got promoted, better job, better pay, all that sort of stuff, and ran a complicated refurb from a contract point of view. I wasn't the project manager, I was the contract manager, and did a complicated refurb there, and it was successful. It was a really good project, made above its margin, and probably got me noticed within Multiplex in Sydney. You're in the big city, obviously, a lot of big players around town to notice you. You start to get some exposure where are the opportunities going to and coming from there? I mean, 12 years is a long time. This is where a lot of luck came in for me. So there's two things, I think. Being willing to relocate and then getting lucky that I joined a small building company, relatively small building company in Perth. And then by the time I'd got through my first project in Sydney, Multiplex was looking to expand. They were going into funds management, facilities management, property development. And some, when I finished my project, they didn't really know what to do with me, but they'd started in the property development side. So I moved into property development. So Multiplex didn't really have a 100% idea about what it was doing in property development. So we started doing development management work and we started doing joint ventures with other parties and the like. And I was lucky enough to be one of the second, third, fourth people into that business in Australia and just 
grew with it. And we just started doing all these more, more and more interesting things to the point where, you know, I was a development manager and then maybe a senior development manager, something like that. And then the expansion continued. And whilst we were building away in New Zealand, someone decided we should start doing property development in New Zealand and asked me to move to New Zealand to look after the property development business or start the property development business in in Auckland. So I did. I went home and I said to my wife, we had a one-year-old, walked home, said to my wife, just been offered a job in New Zealand, feel like moving to Auckland. And she looked at me and went, sure. Why not? Yeah. Why not? We're not you, in you, Perth, we may as well. And she's not from Perth, she's yeah. from the UK, so that was, that was pretty easy. Yeah. So three months later, we up, left, went to New Zealand and lived there for three years and ran the development business over there. What a property market Auckland has become. Wow, I mean, <laughs> and, and I missed that completely. It was pretty hard work when I was there. We did manage to do a couple of good deals, but I, I learnt a lot. As an Australian moving into Auckland, I was about 35 and I learnt plenty there. I probably needed cultural immersion training when I got there because the Kiwis didn't want to know anything about what any Australian, especially a 35-year-old Australian, had to say about how they should be developing property or doing whatever they wanted to do in New Zealand. They had their own ideas and I was just cannon fodder for them to kick me around, basically. But it sorted itself out after about 18 months when I worked out that I had to form my ideas into their ideas and get them fed back so that we could get on and do some things. Do you scratch yourself? You look back and go, I was responsible for delivering a skyscraper. Not many people in the world can say they've done that. Yeah, and and that's what I found. That's what I loved about construction. So when I first got into construction, I was interested in how the building got from the bottom to the top. Then I was interested in how the development came together. I mean, what you know, There's where did so the money come part. from? Yeah, yeah. Money, where does the lease come the from? The sales, whatever it might be. And then you got to build it. Yeah, then you got to build it, and then you've got to the you got to manage the lease, and you on on sell the building or keep the building and put it into another vehicle or whatever the case might be. But there's just so many facets to it, and just just the thrill of watching it go from the bottom to the top. Yeah, it's great. And as you say, Trent. Walking past, driving past and go, I was intimately involved in that. And every now and again, I go back to Auckland and I walk past that building and yeah, see what's going kids. on and walk in the foyer and go, I remember that. I remember arguing about that thing and I remember insisting on that thing and whatever it happened to be. I think that's the coolest part about being a development manager and being in this space in property development in general. Whatever your role is, is that you've actually got a tangible asset or a tangible product that you can stand behind and go, I was part of this. Yeah. And it will, it will be there for my whole lifetime. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, Absolutely. it's hard to say that in things like stockbroking or no, no, in it the comes financial and goes. market. And isn't that funny how, you know, that was your initial view of where you were looking to take your career it was mm. somewhere in the intangible financial markets. And yep. you end up building a career in a space where this is why I prefer it because you can actually look at it and touch it and feel it and go, yeah, I did that. Totally. Absolutely. And that's, that's still where I'm at. In, in How'd you get out of New Zealand? Well, the gentleman who stuck up for me when things were going pretty badly in New Zealand, he saw me then, then he and the guy I was reporting to in New Zealand saw that I was capable and capable of doing things. And thankfully, that gentleman got promoted and he was running the multiplex living apartment development business across Australia. He got promoted to run all of development for multiplex across Australia. So I took his role. So I stepped into, I was the title was sector managing director, but I was the managing director of multiplex apartments. So we had 
geez, at the time we had about 27 pieces of land all around the country, everywhere basically other than Melbourne. So we're, we were strong in New South Wales, particularly strong in New South Wales, Queensland, Western Australia and South Australia. Other people's money, of course, but finding the sites, putting the deals together and in a lot of cases, mopping up a lot of the mess that Multiplex had put together through the dark ages, dark ages, so the dark times in some respects, when we were a listed company for about three years. So we ended up with this hodgepodge of sites. Some were good and some were bad. Too much money and had to put it somewhere. And This is a long time ago. So sometimes we were buying pieces of land to offset bad deals we'd done somewhere else with someone else. Mm. And then we had to make good from that. But we had a really interesting mix of projects. So so I, I then had at, at my fingertips this 25, 30 pieces of land and teams in every state and some joint ventures in some of the states, South Australia in particular, where I was responsible for the profit and loss of this business and trying to make the most of these projects. Sales, marketing, design, approvals, you name it, the whole box and dice and dealing with you know unsold apartments and getting the pre-sales across the line, negotiating with the banks, the whole lot, and trying to make the best of that, um, that business. I think I learned more in that three years, <laughs> certainly of the property development business, than I probably did in the previous 10. Is Multiplex a builder or a property developer these days? Multiplex nowadays is yeah. a pure play builder. Why? So, so when you talk about all this history, all these sites you had, obviously there was an ambition from ownership to develop and profit from development as well, which is a very unique skill set compared to construction management itself, really. Why did they move out of it and when? Well, so the history is, so in 2004, Multiplex listed. In 2008, it was bought by Brookfield and delisted. So effectively, Brookfield were buying the property development sites, the big portfolio of assets that Multiplex owned, and the funds management platform and the facilities management platform. And Brookfield did all those things other than construction. So they bought a construction business as well. And I wasn't in the construction business when Brookfield bought out. But effectively what happened over the the next three or four years is that the business got broken up into Brookfield's worldwide streams. So there was a facilities management business and the Brook and the multiplex facilities management business ended up in there. There was a Brookfield property development business or property business, which is the business that's built that's developing the Chevron Tower down Elizabeth Key at the moment. So the one that did Brookfield Place and Fiona Stanley. Exactly. So so Multiplex started Brookfield Place and then it ended up in Brookfield Properties. So effectively, it got you know didn't get broken up and sold. It just got broken up and put into the right spots mm. inside Brookfield, other than Multiplex. So Multiplex, the builder, has always just been a builder. Mm. You know, everyone just used to see the name Multiplex and just think builder, developer, everything. But there was Multiplex Developments. There was Multiplex Constructions. There was Multiplex Funds Management. There was Multiplex Facilities Management. They're all separate companies, all joined together at the hip at the at the top level, which is effectively what's happened. Or by the brand, really. Yeah, that's right. Yep, joined at the hip by it's the brand. It's nearly a franchise in a way. You know, you look at you, you have that brand recognition and trust that comes with Multiplex itself, just like a gym's mowing, and then there's Termite and Pest. You know that you you do all within that brand and the trust that comes with it. So and probably there probably was you know a long time ago, Multiplex was almost a franchise. So it was hinged around someone who would boldly go to a new region and start something up. Could be in the Middle East. Most recently, Canada, places like that. But now it's very much a global construction business all joined together very right. collaboratively. It's crazy to think you know, that there, someone could manage. There could be a global portfolio of any of these services because the constituencies, the rules, the people, all different. 
all the requirements so different yes that the service is generally the same but what efficiencies could come in with having a global brand like that maybe it's not an efficiency well the efficiency is that we have we have a very good operating model but what's interesting to for me in multiplex as the builder is that whilst we've built in a lot of places we've ended up our current portfolio is really we're only building in commonwealth countries so we're in canada we're in the united kingdom we're all around australia so we're out of the middle east because a lot of that was difficult. We're out of India, Commonwealth country, but a lot of that was quite difficult. And we've gone to a rule of law, to go to your point, we've gone to a rule of law, a way of doing things, which is very common. Areas that allow for that theme of values and yeah, systems. Absolutely. And our, and our system fits very well. Our building system and our the way the business is set up fits very well into those areas. So were you directly involved in the delivery of Brookfield Place, of Fiona Stanley, these sort of Yep. Uh, projects. Absolutely. So when I moved back, I moved back to Perth in 2010. So three years running the apartment development business, which was probably the longest three years of my life. It was hard work, and then apartment development um, is, I think, of the sectors the most difficult. Yeah. The most things can go wrong, which I find is a really interesting perspective for me working for apartment developers. And I think I understand. Now. Yeah, as you a builder now, them, yeah. I empathise, but I think I understand what their pressure points are. What do we need to be giving to this developer to help him get his project across the line? Yeah. So I moved back to Perth in 2010. I had been out of Perth for uh, 18 years. I moved back to Perth in 2010 and we had just started Fiona Stanley Hospital and we just started Brookfield Place, Tower One. And I was fortunate enough to be, you know, running a business that was running those had projects. Had some cool projects. Had yeah. some cool projects. It was a, it was a key factor, of course, when, when I was asked to do the role. I, I, you know, I did a bit more investigation than I, I had done previously. This yeah, is it was a career-making role here. It was quite a big step up, step up. But I had had the luxury of having run a business. I had been running the multiplex development, well, the apartment business. Mm. So I, I had had that luxury. Not as many people, and I was familiar with the construction business of course so I was going back into you construction have to be as well as a developer yeah absolutely you do so yeah that was important and coming back in 2010 with the, these sorts of the sort of projects that multiplex had in Perth that was a joy I remember the Brookfield place it was called the super pit the hole there I well went, went to Trinity College and we you know, as, a, as a 12 year old you'd walk past there and you could see this huge hole in the ground for years so the, the the big full circle for me, the first project I worked on was West Australia Square. So we built yeah. West Australia next Square door. Ne- next door. Was part of the pro- it's part of the precinct. Yeah, we built West Australia Square and we dug the hole in the ground. And I came back 18, 20 years later. Still the there. hole was still in the ground. <laughs> yeah. I love to tell people that story because when they talk about how quickly everything's going to get developed in Perth, I like to remind them. Well, I usually ask, ask them, how, do, how long do you think it was a hole in the ground uh, where the BHP Tower is or Brookfield Place Tower 1 and 2, two are before that started getting built again? They go, I don't know, three, five years ago. Wrong, 20. Mm. And you tell them 20 years and they're astounded. The reason for that, my understanding, is simply finances, right? It takes a super boom and one of the biggest companies in the world Absolutely. to underpin the financials of a building like that. So so we really have BHP to thank for financing, effectively financing yeah, that there project. There is no Brookfield Place without BHP. No. Buildings like the Print Hall and all those heritage buildings, they all got saved as a result of BHP taking that monster tenancy and effectively underpinning yeah, the delivery, underwriting that building. Yeah. You know, it's fantastic. 
A hospital's a different story, though. You've, you've been doing a lot of work on the hospital, haven't you? Multiplex hasn't stopped building hospitals since Fiona Stanley, which started in 2010. So we've always had a, a hospital project, which is pretty hard to believe. And some of the bigger projects coming up in the next few years are also going to be hospital projects. But between you've got IP there, really, now, don't you? We have you loads say, well, of... We know how to build a hospital. We, Tell us who yep. our competitors are that also know how to do that. So there's only one other major hospital that got built and it's been built in Perth over that period of time and didn't go so well for another contractor. Even at the highest level you're still having those same conversations about proving your competitive advantage. Absolutely. Uh, and Never stops. Well, I think we've segued now into what Multiplex is doing these days. So you're the managing director of is it the biggest commercial builder in WA? It'd have to be. Probably by a long shot. Yeah, right. Yep. So obviously you've got those commercial developments from a hospital office space. Yep. But you also seem to be the builder of choice for our most prolific developer at the moment, and that's Paul Blackburn as well. Yeah, so he we doesn't started seem to build a building without you guys these days. We're doing two for him at the moment. He's got three on the go, so the the smallest of the three we're not doing, and we're talking to him about others. But Paul and I formed a relationship through my time at the property council, and it's a period of time where I was president of the property council, and we got on well, and I still get on well with Paul. And I think what we needed was for Paul to be doing a bigger, more bespoke project, probably where he wanted a multiplex name next to it to give the purchasers confidence around the delivery, yes. the quality, you know, if something goes wrong, who's going to be standing behind this, particularly when you saw some of those failures of buildings stuff, in Mascot, Sydney. Opal, exactly. Yeah. So, and that transferred from Subiaco onto Grove and hopefully it'll transfer onto to other projects. Well, I would have thought so because we've spoken off air about the intangibles that make apartments work given the fact that in WA right now, the only things that seem to be working are his projects and maybe a couple others. One, they need to be higher end. They need to replace a home and they can't be investment stock or at least the bulk of it can't be investment stock. They need to have a strong developer brand that people yep. can trust. They need to have a strong builder brand that people can trust. Obviously, location base is important as well. If you don't have those intangibles over and above everything that goes into the apartment in the first place, I don't see it working in Western Australia because we're so fickle about our housing choice and we still have so many alternative options. How have you found the delivery of a, a product? I mean, you're about to finish one Subiac on the next fortnight, I reckon. It looks no, like. Subi, Subi's done. We've got practical completion. So we're just finishing off bits and pieces there. He'll get his strata plan registered or he's in the middle of doing that. Uh, there'll be people living in there before Christmas. That's fantastic. Yeah. How's it going? It's been hard. It's been really hard because we signed that yeah, contract. COVID, right? We signed the contract when everybody thought the world was going to end. And it didn't end, of course, never does. It didn't end. And then labor became an issue. Supply became an issue. Cost. Uh, cost became an issue. Everything that all the things that could have possibly gone against us went against us. But we finished the building on time. It's a great quality project. Blackburn are really happy. They're going to get their settlements at the right time. I met with Paul the other day and he, he said, congratulations. And he said, you said you'd do it. You said you wouldn't be late. You said you wouldn't muck me around. And we didn't. Yeah. And we don't. And yeah, that's, there's got to be a lot of pride in that, Chris. Absolutely. Especially and for what everyone has gone through in the last couple of years. Absolutely. And it's re that's really important in Perth. Client advocacy for us is critical. Yeah. So if, if Paul Blackburn or the state government or Hesperia or anybody comes out and says, Multiplex were rat bags to deal with, yeah. that's not good for me. No. I need them to come out saying, Multiplex were good to deal, deal with, they delivered on time, there was no fuss, there was no bother, there was no artificial claims going on and we delivered a quality product. And if there's an issue, sometimes there's issues in constructions, we'll go back and fix it. Well, my perception from what I hear on the on the street is that Multiplex is the premier builder in Western Australia. It might cost you one or 2% more to build, but you'll know you'll get the product 
the way you ask for it on time and no funny business. And that's, I think, in any product, in any space in the world, most people go for that if they can. I don't think we're one to two percent more expensive than anybody else. I think we offer the same competitive price. We're all coming from the same pool of subcontractors and the like. Subcontractors are gold to us. We look after them as best as we possibly can. And it's important to us to be able to be price competitive and deliver a quality product on time. We know how the construction industry has been in the last couple of years. We also know that the statistics that more than half of apartment developments have been iced in the last couple of years, that it's very hard to price an apartment development, or it has been over the last year or so, with outrageous increases in costs, both on labour and supplier, that you guys couldn't control, you can't keep track of. No. How do you stay alive financially after having such a huge project that I would assume, and I, I could be wrong, a lot of the profit would have been eroded. We don't really tender projects. Straight hard dollar tender, here's a set of documents and please give us your best price and start in a month's time. That's not really how we work. And how we worked with, I'll use Paul as an example, we went through what's called an ECI process. So we spent about a year or 18 months working with Blackburn to refine the design, refine the pricing and lock the pricing in. Early and contractor involvement. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And the beauty of that for someone like Blackburn or any of our clients is that we have the expertise in-house to pull design apart and not lose design intent, but deliver it in a more cost-effective way, working with ourselves and working with the subcontractors to identify the most cost-effective way of building a building, getting exactly the product that the client wants without... With, without, without doubling up. Yeah, value without doubling up, value engineering. And it, it really is what we offer in the market. Would you say and, that all developers should be looking for that, whether it's with Multiplex or another builder that they trust? that ECI involvement, especially in space like apartments, is critical these days? Absolutely. I think it's very simple-ish and small projects. I don't think warrants it. If you're going to fully design your product or your project, I don't think it warrants it. But bigger, more complicated projects, it's very easy for... Pick your builder, make sure the builder's got the right skills and the right people and work together and give them a budget. So so someone comes to us and says, our budget's 150 million. I'm making up figures, 150 million. If we can get to that budget, you've got a project. If we can't get to that budget, we'll take all your information, we'll go out to tender. And we say, that's fine. Because in the first place, if they say to me, it's 150 million, I look at it and say it's 170, I'll say, you're never going to do it for 150. Yeah. That's my view. Yeah. yeah. See you later. <laughs> yeah. Off you go. I'm not going to waste my time and I'm not going to waste your time. So it really is a good process. It's this the state government are using it, Hesperia are using it. I don't think there's, we don't have a client, you know, current or recent that either isn't using the ECI process or hasn't used the ECI process. Hesperia is the other name you brought up a couple of times now. They're probably the other big player in Perth. How does your relationship with them work? What sort of projects are you doing with them? So there's only one, but it's a big one. It's about $250, $300 million. It's the, I think they're calling it Murdoch Square now, but we call it uh, Murdoch Health and Knowledge Precinct out next to Fiona Stanley. That's a big mixed-use project. And when I say mixed-use, there's about 12 different uses in that, <laughs> in that complica- complex there. Big basement, big podium, and, and five buildings that have multiple uses in there, anywhere from retail, apartments, hotel, medi-hotel, hospital, aged care, it goes on. They're really good to deal with. I reckon they're a really exciting prospect, Hesperia, for what well, they're they doing and how he's doing it. Every project that's uh, in, that's announced in the last yeah. year, it seems to be Hesperia that's picked it up. And you wonder how they had all these sites sitting in the wing ready to go because every single high-quality development that seems to be announced seems to have them their name on it. 
But so I likened what you know the client advocacy that's really important for us and our name in Perth, delivering what Adrian Finney and Ben Lyle are doing now or have been doing individually before they got together, was creating projects that people liked, that worked where they got a good name and they got buy-in from the public and from government and the like as to what they could deliver. So they were creating their own client advocacy effectively along the way by delivering quality projects and now they're just continuing to do that together. It seems with a lot less friction if you have that brand recognition, that trust from both your buyers or your clients or your investors or the state government, things seem to be a lot easier for you to run through all the risks and, and get on with it. Absolutely, of course. And it just it takes a long time you can't do that overnight you've got to build your name you've got to build your brand and you've got to keep that credibility up there and even us as you know one of the bigger commercial builders in town we've got to maintain that i've constantly reminding my people that we're only as good as our last project you only do seem to develop big stuff do you rely on developers as big as the blackburns and the hesperias if they didn't exist what would you be developing would it just be state government projects probably Yep, in reality. And we couldn't just survive on state government projects. And, and we, so we're a general contractor. So we need to be able to deliver a whole series of things and we need to have expertise across the full spectrum of commercial building projects. Well, that leads me into the next question. What is on the plate for Multiplex these days? What are you looking forward to doing? What sort of projects are on the go when you hear the news that there are no apartment buildings coming up in anytime soon? Surely that's going to make you a bit nervous. When we started this chat, I talked about leaving Perth in 1992 when there was no work. And I came back in 2010 when there was heaps of work, more work than we knew what to do with. And 2010, 11, 12 was until this year were the biggest years that Multiplex ever ever had in Perth. And then 2022 eclipsed it and became our biggest year by about 30%. But what it gave me was perspective around what happens in Perth. Because we all know it's boom and bust, but the construction industry is massively boom and bust. It goes up and down like a yo-yo. Mm. doesn't matter how successful you are or how many projects you win. Sometimes there's not as many projects to win as there is at other times. And so that cyclical nature of Perth and the construction industry, I've seen that about three times in 12 years. So that perspective I came in with has been really helpful for me. When you come in and Perth and Perth people start saying to you, this is the boom that's going to go on forever. We've got iron ore contracts that go out for 15 years and go, that's all great. But let me tell you, it's all going to boom to bust at some point. And of course it did and it does and it will again. And things are going pretty well now. But there will be a period of time, sometime down the track, I'm not sure when, where it'll all go turn to dust again. Well, we're in an interesting paradigm right now where there's certainly a lack of supply. There's certainly more than enough demand, but the numbers don't work for the demand that's there when it comes to what what developers can deliver an apartment product for or an office building for. Certainly there is a lack of supply, certainly there is demand, but there's no profit in the projects, which is why so many have been iced, and that affects you. Are you seeing anything on the ground where you think, oh, actually, Trent, next year, I reckon we'll start a couple of projects? So the the reality is that pretty much your commentary there relates to a big chunk of the market, but not all the market. So not all the market has got those sorts of cost imperatives attached to them. So when you take state government work, yes, they've got cost imperatives, absolutely. So they don't just build whatever the cost is, but they're less attuned to... Less sensitive to the price. Yeah, less sensitive to the price than the apartment developers. So the apartment developers, 
you won't see as many. A lot of them are being iced, as you say. We don't do a lot of apartment develop- construction. So we're doing two for Blackburn at the moment, but it's not the biggest part of our portfolio by any stretch of the imagination. And I think the things coming up in the next few years are projects that the government sort of, in inverted commas, has to build. They need a new women's and babies hospital. They're going to build that. They need a new hospital down at Bunbury. They're going to build that. And the beauty of the process that we run, and we've run with the state government before, we still have to, we still have to be competitive. We still have to win those projects, but we'll work with them and ensure that we can get them to the budget. Yeah, Yeah, there's a lot of trust there, but we'll get them to the budget. If they say we want to build this amount of hospital for this amount of money, we'll find a way of getting them there, Mm. working with ourselves, working with the subcontractors and through that trust and getting there. Well, it's very insightful that given that you guys are the biggest commercial builders in WA, you sit across both government and private development, you've essentially laid it out that you expect a lot of the work you're going to get is going to be government-based in the next short term and probably not in urban infill in that private residential space yeah and i think if i was going to back anyone to get an apartment across the apartment development across the line i'd back paul blackburn yeah but having said that we know there's a couple about to go in south perth that we won't be building or south perth or on the south side of the river that are going to get across the line but Paul will probably get an, uh, a couple up in the next, maybe not next year, the it's year after, is my guess. Yeah, yeah he's course. got a bit there. Let's roll into, if we can, let's talk about some of the pain points in your role from a industry point of view. How do we make multiplexes job of delivering great buildings, whether they're government or private buildings? How do we make your job easier? How do we help you? De- how does the government... How does industry help you deliver for West Australians what West Australians need? So I think that the lifeblood of commercial building sites is the subcontractors and the skills within the subcontractors. So, you know, the head contract is important and having a head contractor that knows what it's doing, is well financed, has good people that can run early contractor involvement processes to get the project to budget and across the line. Subcontractors are delivering the project. You know, they're the bricklayers, they're the concreters, the carpenters, mechanical services, et cetera, et cetera. So training in that area is critical for us. So it's really become acute in the last two years where we've had this shortage of personnel. We're still going to have a shortage of personnel going forward, but the ability for us to get people into trades and to train them up and have the best skills we possibly can is probably what, as a builder, pure play as a builder, is what the builder is looking for in the industry. So you need more qualified, skilled tradesmen. Trades. We, it's it's that simple. simple. That, yeah. yeah, it's as simple as that. So the building industry needs that. The commercial industry needs that. We've got great people coming out of universities, construction management at Curtin University, where we get a lot of our graduates from. We've got great people coming out of those areas, but we need much more, more in the way of blue collar skilled trades. It's and the chicken and egg, isn't it? When it comes to that, where do you put them? How do you house them? Well, we've got to grow them internally. That's we've got to make that. We've got to make the yeah. We've got to make the industry more attractive. And one of the things we've been looking at in the last few years is is this work life balance thing, having the flexibility so that people aren't working six seven days a week. We've got so at Multiplex now we don't have anyone who works more than five days in a week. Sorry, sometimes they will work more than five days in the, in a week, but we've got to balance that out. What we're trying to do is ensure that no one works more than five in seven. So if they work Saturday and Sunday, they might have Tuesday Wednesday off, that sort of thing. But we've got to make the industry more attractive. But I've got a good place to put them if we get them to come from externally. We could put them at the Centre of National Resilience at, the, at Bullsbrook that we finished building this year. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and look, that's been brought up a number of times. I'm sure that there would be a swathe of people that would be just fine, just happy living there on a daily basis. Um, or at least until they found somewhere as a step to permanently live. If they had work yeah. and it was good paid work. 
but it is chicken and egg and i think i think because uh, until you've got more people there is more pressure on wages but to get more people you need more housing but the developers can't make a profit with the housing because it currently costs too much to build them in the first place. Yeah. So it's a real Chicken conundrum we've got right now mm. uh, across the industry and across the state, which I can only see the only answer is that we pay more for our apartments. We pay more for our houses. I, th- I think that's what's going to happen, though, because eventually there's going to have to be an adjustment in the purchaser side of things so that they understand that they're going to have to pay more for the apartment or the house if they want it. Otherwise, supply just does not come on. No, that's right. And then and the pent-up demand is going to get there, or it's very close because we've got a vacancy rate that you'd know better than me, probably below 1%, mm-hmm. and something's going to have to break. And you'd like to think that that's starting, starting to happen. More trades, more skills available. What about the supply side of, of goods themselves that you're importing in to build these things. Yeah, that's, Is there anything that can be done here or are we just a victim of global influences at the moment? We are, but so as a, as a builder, what we do is adjust. I mean, what we're talking to our, our clients about is day one procurement. So we need to know on day one what we're procuring. So we've got to get a lot further through the design process, which is why the ECI process is very useful as well. Get further through the design process so so that on day one we know what we're procuring and we can go and procure it so that we don't end up with delays on our projects. And thankfully, because we have that mantra or had that in mind the whole way through COVID, we haven't had an issue in delivery of our projects. But it's an ongoing issue. You just need to be organised. You talk about day one procurement. In a market where you expect costs to rise over time, that works. Are we still in that market? Is there a risk that you buy a whole bunch of steel for a certain price right now and when you need it seven months from now, it's a bit cheaper and you're kicking yourself? Is that possible or do you think, no, Trent, I still think we've got some upside risk here? Uh, I think it's starting to steady out. But in terms of kicking yourself, if the prices go down, I wouldn't worry about it too much. We're not we, So as a builder, we're not speculators. We want to lock in our price because we operate on really low margins. We want to lock in our prices as early as we can and we don't speculate. We don't sit there and go, fingers crossed, the market's going down and it'll be fine. We want to procure and lock in our subcontract as early as we can and then get on and deliver the project. Yeah, It's not worth the risk. You just want to deliver. It's not about the extra couple of percent you might have made no. playing God, the no. game. Absolutely. There's been a couple of big builders or biggish names that have fallen over through this cycle. Nine times out of ten, I find that the contractors don't understand risk. They don't understand what can go wrong on very thin margins by taking the sort of risks that they sign up to in their contracts. And they do that time and time again. And then when something goes wrong... Those clauses they've signed up to, Mm. it all falls apart. And they don't have enough cash flow, enough cash sitting in the bank, and they're not capitalised well enough to be able to stand it. And that's what happens. Is it a broken system? You see the reports in the newspaper of people saying this system is is broken, it's too risky for contractors. Is that the case, or is is this just poor management? Well, my view is it's poor management. Nine times out of... So something can go... Something obtuse can happen. I mean, you could get caught in the sort of stuff that's happened in the last couple of years. But generally, your contract should protect you. Mm, so, yeah, if you've got a force majeure clause, you've got a, you've got a claim to be able to claim against COVID. So claim. That's, that's how it works. People can't manage their cash flow. They take on risks that, or they sign up contracts. Too much work as well. Sometimes too much work. Well, they sign up contracts without force majeure clauses in it or without... You'd be crazy to sign up a contract now without a COVID clause in it. Everyone thinks COVID's gone, but there's a wave coming now, mm. and maybe you're getting delayed. So, and all our projects have had some form of delay, and we've managed to catch up, and we've worked with our clients to sort it out and the like. But 
There is ever forever contractors on very, very low or no margins as it gets to the smaller end of builders delivering projects and crossing their fingers if they're desperate for work, which Hoping is just... They save a bit of money on the way and that's their profit. Which is just crazy, crazy risk management. You've mm. got to look at the risk. Inherently, my role in running my company is a risk management. That's what I do. I manage risk and I have to be able to look all day, every day at risk and what could go wrong rather than sitting there and go, what could go right? This could be fantastic. Yeah, well, and I think that is the theme of longevity in both the building and property development industry. Mm. What we do is inherently profitable. You wouldn't do it if the numbers at the front end didn't look profitable. The way you deliver that and stick around is by mitigating all those factors on the front end, hopefully most of the time, that could erode that profit. Absolutely. And waste your time yep. and turn it into negative profit, which is you know, obviously a loss. If you can focus on that, then what we're doing is inherently profitable. Absolutely. Deliver what you said you're going to deliver and you'll be fine. Yep, exactly. Forecast for the next 12 months. What does 2023 look like if you can, not just for the construction industry, but Perth broadly? I'll touch on the construction industry first. And I think it's probably the same metaphor for for Perth, I'd say. So 22 is massive. Biggest turnover the multiplex has ever had. Commercial building industry has been very strong all across the industry. Some people have got burnt and some people have probably done really well out of it. Next year is a down year. So our turnover will be significantly lower next year. But And if I if you were running an accounting firm and I told you that, that our turnover was significantly lower, you go, oh my God, something must be wrong. But this is normal. This is what happens. As I said earlier in this talk, this is the third experience of this that I've seen in the last 12 years. And there'll be another one and another one and another one. It just goes on. But 23, I think, is a bit of a reset year. I think labour supply will get better. I think construction prices will start to level out. And I think property prices will start to rise. And this will be the inflection point. This will be the adjustment where the property prices have to go up. Apartments, maybe commercials, a bit of a different space in terms of leasing. But significant, particularly apartments will have to go up to meet the increased construction prices. Construction prices aren't going down. They'll just level out. Mm. You won't see them go it's down. It's the new normal. It's the new normal. You might see the reinforcing price go down or the steel price go down, and the that'll make some adjustment. Changing. The yeah. bracket's not changing. If it goes up 2 or 3%, that's because something's gone down 6 Some other things have gone up 6 and it ends up at 3 yeah. So, But I see, see next year as sort of a, not, no, certainly not a reset year, but just a more of a levelling out. And then I think there's more work to come in 24, 25, 26. Well, you've just explained how Perth is so boom and bust. It goes through these cycles of no one's going to start building anytime soon because of the fact it doesn't work for developers. And then at some point, people were continually doing the numbers. They'll all figure it out. Oh, it works now. And then all those prop projects that were on ice now nominally work on paper. They can get financed now. And they'll all come on at the same time. You'll have a big boom in construction again. And then at some point, we probably have an oversupply because all the supply of these product projects that all the developers want to deliver, they've been trying to deliver them for years, they will come on regardless of whether the market is still there three or four years from now. And then you get in a situation where it's possibly oversupplied because they've gone and met a market that was three years ago. It could be, but I could see that happening over the next five or six years. But what we'd hope in the middle of all that is that we get some immigration. Yeah, and, that, what we and really that's need. what you need to sustain. Yeah, and what we really need in Perth is more people. You know, we, If we're going to make this place work longer term is we need a bigger Western Australia and we should be able to attract the people.
Well, it seems to be all over the plants. You know, uh, West Australia 2035 plans, the white papers and all that. It's what is the ground, the, fun, the foundation of our urban infill targets, for mm. example. Uh, the funny thing is, it seems that the state government is hamstrung by the federal government in uh, allowing for these things to happen. Yeah, we don't have control. <laughs> the, the, the beauty of three levels of government, right? Yeah. Chris Palandri, it's been a story, I think, that in many ways uh, mirrors the success of Nathan Blackburn, a guy who has been with his business for a couple of decades now, who has shown extreme loyalty to his business, has clearly delivered for his business and has been rewarded for that by getting to the top of the pile and now getting to do all the fun things you do every day. You might laugh, but it's you're in a very enviable role that most people in the industry, I think, with any ambition would look up to you and go, I wish I was him one day. I guess that's right. I don't really think about it in those terms, I guess, but no question, I have a fantastic job. Yeah. I have There is more variety in my job than you can possibly imagine. What happens day to day, week to week, month to month, over the years, it's different. And that's why I've managed to stay in the, in the business and not Multi- get bored. And not yeah. get bored. There's no chance of getting bored. It's always different. The projects are different. The clients are different. The environments are different. What's going on with COVID or labour increases or supply issues or whatever the case may be, it's always changing. It's Has fantastic. Has it been the key? Is it, is it a piece of advice you give a 22-year-old coming out of curtain right now, find a good quality business and be loyal to them and deliver for them and you will be rewarded? Absolutely. I just, I mean, a lot of what I've talked about today is probably, well, sticking with it and and taking opportunities when they're there, but a bit of luck as well. I could have joined a small builder that went broke. I could have joined a small builder that stayed a small builder. I probably would have left or something, but You'd never be I think, MD at Multiplex if you did that. No, that's right. I guess not. But And I got lucky that they grew, but you want to aspire to be working for better organizations yeah. i think and if you're getting stuck in an organization you don't think's going anywhere and is not looking after you or not capable of looking after you or giving you the opportunities we'll go and find a multiplex <laughs> i think we'll leave it at that perfect pitch chris <laughs> plandry regional md at multiplex thank you so much for your time i know that there'll be many thousands of people listening to this extremely excited to hear your story thanks trent Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!